Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. This week we are doing a bit of a cheeky rerun of one of my favourite episodes, which is episode number 38 on why every psychologist and therapist should have a specialism. Now, I recorded this episode almost two years ago, but my passion for specialising has only grown since then. And that's because since I recorded this episode, I've supported over 100 psychologists and therapists in psychology business school. And the thing that has changed the game for pretty much everybody that I've worked with closely has been getting clear on their specialism. I can literally see the overwhelm lifting off people's shoulders when they get this clear in their minds. And I also see their marketing skyrocket um, and their ability to control their practice. Uh, And by that, I mean kind of work with the people that they want to work with, say yes to referrals that they want to take um, and get other projects off the ground if that's what they want to do as well, like online courses and books. Their ability to do all of those things and to take that control of how their business looks really takes off once that specialism is clear. That That's my story as well. Um, I share a bit of that in this episode, uh, but I couldn't believe in it more strongly having seen it work for so many other people uh, since I recorded this episode. So I wanted to bring it back to your attention and to bring it back round. And I also wanted to let you know that we are running our specialising workshop again. This has been our most popular training. I've put on a few uh, free workshops on different topics over the past couple of years, but the specialism workshop where we help you to nail down your specialism and plan what your practice might look like uh, for the next year off the back of that, that has always been our most popular training. Now I've been on maternity for the past six months or so, um, but I am really excited to come back with a bang (laughs) and put on another free workshop on specialising for you guys. So there'll be a couple of dates and times to choose from. So if you head to the link in the show notes, you'll be able to register for that. Uh, I'll I'll make sure that that's there for you by the time this goes out. So that's very exciting. Uh, But for now, here is episode number 38 of the Business of Psychology. This week in the Do More Than Therapy membership, we've been looking at business planning and specifically planning out what projects we're all going to be working on in 2021. As I was writing the materials for the course, I realised how crucial it is to be clear on your specialism, the projects that you want to work on and the ideal clients for each project before you even start to consider creating products or working on services or developing your marketing strategy. So in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about why you need a specialism and why you might not know what that is yet and how a specialism is different from your ideal clients, but how it can really help you find them. And then finally, I'm going to say a little bit about why thinking in projects can help you to plan a private practice that feels way more professionally fulfilling than if you just think in terms of services. So firstly, I want to say private practice makes it really easy not to have a specialism. 
as the referrals that you get from insurance companies or rehab firms can be really broad. And often when we start out, we want to take everyone because we're really scared about not having enough work, or I certainly was. And also there's this huge imposter syndrome around the idea of specialising. In the early stage of my private practice, my imposter syndrome was so huge that I literally told people that I had no specialist skills and I actually refused to see anybody who might require any kind of specialist. Even now, I sometimes get an email from a potential client and they'll say that they've chosen me because I'm an expert in birth trauma and I honestly feel like replying saying oh no, you got it wrong. Here are the contact details for a real specialist. Um, And I literally have to have a template reply for that situation. Because if I freehand it, I will write something along those lines and send them off to somebody else. So over the years, I have learned that even though it feels really uncomfortable, a specialism is actually really vital because it can do a few things for you. So firstly, it helps you to avoid burnout or overwhelm because you can focus all of your activity on one subject. So all of your CPD, all of your marketing, all of your resources are all going on one topic. And that's just a lot less overwhelming than trying to become a master of everything. Secondly, it provides a lot of reassurance to our clients that they actually need and that can help them to recover or move past their difficulties more quickly. And I think if you're in any doubt about that, all you need to do really is think about who you would want to see if you had a medical problem or if somebody that you cared for was really struggling. So for example, um, if my little girl Um, I mean, she really is. If she is struggling with um, her eating, if I'm really concerned about her nutrition, do I want to see a general nutritionist who works across all of the age categories and all of the different eating difficulties that people might have? Or do I want to see somebody who specializes in toddlers who won't eat vegetables (laughs) or who specializes in toddler nutrition? I mean, clearly... The concerns that I have about my daughter now, age three, would be very different to the concerns I might have for her if she was restricting her eating age 18. Um, So I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable seeing somebody that I know has invested a lot of time and energy in learning about toddler nutrition. And there's no reason at all that mental health would be any different. Thirdly, having a specialism helps you to build authority and credibility and an audience who trust you enough to buy your products and services. So if you want to say, for example, sell a book on a topic that you're really interested in, it's really important that there are people out there who know that you know your stuff in that area. It kind of sounds simple, doesn't it? But often we know that we know our stuff in a particular area, but if we haven't taken the time to really promote the fact that we have a specialism, that we have a topic of special interest, then why would anybody believe us when we say that our book um, has useful insights in it? And finally, knowing your specialism helps you identify who your ideal clients are for particular products and services. So we need to first, we need to differentiate your specialism from your client group. So the way that I think about it is that your specialism is the problem that clients are most likely to want your help to solve. So for an example, let's think about some very successful psychologists and therapists that you've probably heard of. 
Let's take Bessel van der Kolk, the trauma and the body guy. Most of you have probably heard of him. If not, you need to read his book, The Body Keeps the Score. It has changed my whole life. (laughs) But anyway, if you go on Bessel van der Kolk's website, if you know anything about him at all, then you know that his specialist subject is trauma and specifically trauma and the body. But when you look across his career, he's applied that specialism to a whole host of different client groups and ideal clients. A specialism can really be quite a broad thing, as it's about the struggle that people are facing. And through your career, you might help lots of different client groups that all share a similar struggle. For example, if your specialism is trauma in the body, you might start your career helping veterans, move on to helping people who've been through birth trauma, and further down the line, you might help healthcare professionals who worked on acute wards during COVID-19. The time and energy that you've put into the CPD and research associated with your specialism can be applied in so many different ways to different people through your career. But each project you work on through that career will be targeted towards specific ideal clients. And that helps hugely with marketing and making your message really clear for the people that need to hear it. And it also reduces the overwhelm for you. So personally, I think the way that NHS services are structured in this country often doesn't help us or our clients in the best way. To me, for example, it really doesn't make sense to have services such as adult mental health when the only thing that people using the service have in common is that they're aged 18 to 65. You can't be a specialist in adult mental health. It's just too broad. The reality in most services I've worked in is that psychologists and therapists within those teams will naturally develop specialisms that focus on a particular kind of struggle that a client might face. So you get to know that Sue is great with anger and Ben is really good with trauma. And I think it's helpful to think about specialism in that way when you're planning your private practice. As one thing that I've noticed in the Do More Than Therapy community and other groups that I'm in is that people can get really stuck in thinking that one particular client group or set of ideal clients is their specialism. For example, people can understandably get very worried that if they specialise, they'll then only get to see a certain type of person. That can feel really limiting and it can make us feel incompetent if a client comes along that's slightly outside of the client group that we're used to working with. Instead, if we pick a struggle as our specialism and think of our work in terms of projects that are targeted to different ideal clients, we can evolve over time, we can be more inclusive in our practice, and we can take on different types of work over our careers while continuing to build our specialism and build our authority. So if we take my practice as an example... My interest has consistently been in helping non-typical people deal with trauma. So initially, I worked in prisons and the people I saw were often non-typical because of their forensic challenges and there was often a lot of learning disability uh, in the mix as well. Then I worked in a learning disability team and I focused on positive behaviour support for people who couldn't articulate their trauma verbally. Then I started working with birth trauma and mothers, particularly mothers that are having a second baby after a traumatic first birth. And that could seem, if you're looking at client group, that looks like a lot of jumping around in my career. However, when you look at the CPD I've done, the training that I've sought out and the books that I've read, it's actually really clear that the thread that brings them all together 
is helping um, people who maybe aren't typical, not that I now believe that anybody is typical, um, deal with trauma. And I consider that to be my specialism. So I kind of don't feel like I've jumped around loads, even though it could look like that on paper. So there may be a lot of you listening to this who you're not sure about your specialism or you're not sure that you're happy with your specialism. Um, So if that's you, then it might be helpful to think about the following areas to help you kind of hone down on what your specialism is or what you might want to craft it to become. So your specialism might lie in areas that you've published research or maybe areas you're interested in researching in the future. In fact, I think that's really important. A a lot of us, we pride ourselves on being evidence-based practitioners. And as I talked about in the systematic reviews episode with Danielle Bodycoat, being involved in research really helps us to stay at the forefront of the evidence base, whether that is actually like carrying out research, whether it's just being um, involved in a systematic review or in sort of summarizing the the existing research for our clients or for other professionals I think if you're not interested in researching an area it's probably not lighting you up anymore as a clinician either so I think it's really common actually for our specialism to link to what we want to research your specialism might also lie where you've received the best client feedback so have you ever had a particular type of client who said to you you just really got me or I I just found that you were more effective or more useful than other therapists that they've worked with now obviously we've got to be really careful about that kind of feedback for loads of reasons and we've got to be reflective about it but if you do find that there's a common thread of people giving you a lot of positive feedback for a particular type of work that you do it may be that your specialism could link to that in some way You've also got to think about if you're in private practice, where do you have the best access to clients? Where are your existing audience and networks? Because it probably won't be helpful to you to pick a specialism that you have no access to. Uh, I mean, you can do and obviously we can make big transitions in our work and we can think about how to make that happen for you. Um, But the path of least resistance is usually to choose a specialism where you already have some client work. Um, that fits within it so that you can build and develop on what you've already got. You also need to think about what is your most exciting work. And for me, that often goes hand in hand with where I get the best feedback. Because if I'm really excited about work that I'm doing, if I'm really enthusiastic about it, that tends to be when I bring my A game in the therapy room and outside of it. So I think it is important that whatever you choose as your specialism, it's something that gets you fired up that you would talk about at a dinner party if somebody um, gave you the opportunity. (laughs) I think that is really crucial. And finally, think about what was your NHS specialism and or what is your NHS specialism if you're still working in the health service or in any other kind of employed role. Because it may be that you don't want to take that job title and turn that into your specialism, but there might be a grain within it, within the work that you were doing or that you are doing that informs your specialism. So finally, I wanted to make a little note about local So a lot of people in private practice kind of fall into having a local specialism and being known as the psychologist in their area. 
And many people can have a really successful private practice that way. And I'd encourage you to build the local side of your business and that local reputation, especially when you need clients fast. But if you want to do work outside of the therapy room, especially if you want to work online and bring a lot of people into online programs, online courses, for example, having a local business, it just isn't going to give you a scope to build a big enough audience. And people aren't likely to see you as having as much authority as someone who specialised in a particular area. So It's not that you shouldn't have a local specialism. I think that's great. But alongside that, if you've got any of those ambitions to do more than therapy and get out of the therapy room, I think it's really important to think about a wider specialism too. So I hope that's given you a chance to reflect on your specialism and how you might use it to plan out what you want to work on and achieve in 2021. We're going to be talking an awful lot more about business planning and how you map out those projects um, between now and Christmas. So don't worry, you are covered on that front. I just really wanted to start you off thinking about your specialism and if you don't have one, getting really clear on it. So I'd love to know your thoughts about specialising and any struggles you might be having with this. So as ever, please do get in touch. I'm at Rosie Gilderthorpe on Instagram, or you can always find me hanging out in the Do More Than Therapy free Facebook group as Rosie Gildertrig. Don't ask about the name. Do you sometimes wake up at two o'clock in the morning worried that you've made a terrible error that will bring professional ruin upon you and disgrace your family? (laughs) I'm laughing now, but when I first set up in private practice, I was completely terrified that I'd miss something big when setting up my insurance or data protection. Even now, three years in, I sometimes catch myself wondering if I've really covered all the bases. It's hard, no, probably impossible, to think creatively and have the impact you should be having in your practice if you aren't confident that you've got a secure business underneath you. But it can be overwhelming to figure out exactly what you need to prioritise before those clients start coming in. I've created a free checklist plus resources list to take the thinking out of it. Tick off every box and you can see your clients confident in the knowledge that you've got everything in place for your security and theirs. Download it now from psychologybusinessschool.com forward slash client hyphen checklist. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy. Therapy.